We are now recording. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole thing and then break it down on the back end before I give the meal. And the reason why, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys are, I don't know who's ahead of the curve or who's behind the curve, who's actually been reading the scripture and who's been reading it before we actually get on the call or who's trying to catch up and reading it with me. But um, for those that have been an understudy of this, of this book specifically, then you know that 30 and 31 specifically are intense. In fact, they're written completely different than the first 29 chapters, uh, completely different um, by design. And so um, you really have to take more time. I was actually uh, in study this morning as I was going through many different uh, breakdowns <clears throat> of this chapter. Um, and it is, it, it sums up in, in a crazy way because it's talking about Agur, Agur, if you want to say that, Agur, and Jaki, Jake, 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 however you want to look at it, however you want to pronounce it. What's really amazing about it is they're very, they aren't even spoken about anywhere else in the world. I mean, they're very little. And it's almost some of the scholars uh, from uh, the Jewish as well as the Hebrew passing of time believe that Agra is actually a secret name for Solomon. Um, for those who have been studying it, it's just, you know, for whatever the reason may be. But I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to read read, 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 read the chapter itself all the way through its entirety and then go back and break it down. I found that uh, it's really intense from that. And I have some, a lot of notes here. So 30, the words of Agur, the son of Jacke, the oracle, the oracle, the man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too, stupid be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended to heaven and come down, which is a question. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the winds in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. And all this is a prelude. I said I wasn't going to add, but I am. I am. I lied. I'm sorry, God. So in that, what I'm sharing is, I can't help it. I can't help it. Um, it's also been said, I mean, depending on the scholars that you study, that um, all of this, the gathers, the wrapped up of waters, the all of these are references. And then Agur, the son of Jaqeh, is actually the oracle, is actually a reference point. It's actually a reference point that they're actually synonyms or nouns even uh, as a reference point because they've never been spoken of in the Bible before. One through four is pretty deep in that concept. As you get into five, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Here again is a, a repeat of understanding that God is our refuge. Jesus is our refuge. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Now, I, again, I said I wasn't going to insert, but I really want you guys to get some of, the some of the things here. Seven, it shifts completely as a prelude to a prayer. So, 
And, and it specifically says in seven, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. And he's talking to our father. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And it's crazy because it sounds like a lot of my prayers. It's like, I don't need anything. It's like, also, it's kind of like a prayer I have with my father. It's like, or if you heard me the other morning, where I said, you don't need to leave me anything in the inheritance or in my will. You've already given me seed. You've already given birth to me. So I have your DNA. Just feed me the wisdom. And in that, I have acquired in the years of me being underneath the, the roof of my father, I can go and eat every day of my life because of what you've already given me. So you don't need to leave me anything in my will. And ironically, this is saying the same thing as, as he's talking and praying. That is like, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Hence, you'll go hungry, famished, as a matter of fact. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be held guilty. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids shift and lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives. To devour the poor off the earth, the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. Three things are never satisfied, for never say enough. Shiloh, another word for God, Father. The barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the, of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Three things are too wonderful for me. I'm at 18 for those who are following. Four, I do not understand the way of the eagle in the sky, the way of serpent on the rocks. By the way, this is by also known as the seven verses of prayer. If you're taking notes and you don't know that reference, by the way, this, and he's counting them out here. Um, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes a king. A fool when he's filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband. A maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Four things on earth are small, but they're exceedingly wise. The ants are a people, not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people, not mighty, yet they make their home in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is still, yet it is in king's palaces. 29. Three kings are stately in their tread, four are stately in their stride. The lion, which is mightiest among beasts, and does not turn back before any. The strutting rooster the he-goat, and a king whose army is with him. If you have been foolish exalting yourself, or if you have been de devising evil, put your hand on your mouth, for pressing milk produces curds, 
Pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. Now that is a powerful, powerful, I mean, completely strays off of the, uh, I mean, the entire first 29 chapters of this, that, this, that, this, that, and goes into a mental mind blitz. I'm going to break down some of it for you. When you're looking at it from the top, right, he's starting off with words of Agra, the son of Jackie. See, Proverbs 30 is a collection of wisdom from a man known only to this chapter, only to this chapter. And when the men of Hezekiah gathered additional material for Proverbs, starting back in 25, they added these words, Agur, or Agur. We have no other mention of Agur, the son of Jackie. Solomon was the only man of wisdom in his day or afterwards, or afterwards. Other men of wisdom besides Solomon are described in 1 Kings 4.30 through 31. Some, as I said earlier, think that Agur is another name for Solomon. But this is unlikely. See, from the introduction, from the names here used, and from the style of the book, it appears evident that Solomon was not the author of this chapter, and that it was designed to be distinguished from his works by this very preface, which specifically distinguishes it from the preceding work. I personally believe Agur, Jake, Ithiel, and Yukal to be the names of persons who did exist, but of whom we know nothing but what is here mentioned, Agur seems to have been a public teacher, since we're talking about scholars, as was Ethiel and Yukal, to have been scholars. Nothing definite is known about the writers, and it is vain to speculate where God is silent. It is much better to give our full attention to the teaching than to indulge in unprofitable speculation about who the writers were. And there was a lot of conversation about this for those who have studied. I went through about 10 different books to truly understand this. As he breaks down his utterance, this has a sense of prophetic word inspired by God, his prophecy. Like Solomon earlier in the book in Proverbs 2.6, Agur understood that his words here came from God. The wisdom of Agur in Proverbs 30 is filled with observations on life and the natural world. Agur is one inviting us to look again at our world with an eye of a man of faith who is an artist and an observer of character. The words of the psalmist, Psalms 143.5, it says, I muse on the work of thy hands. See, this man declared to Ethiel, as it's broken down, these proverbs are wisdom saying that Agur spoke to two other men, Ethiel and Yukal. Again, we have no other mention of them in the Bible. As we get further into Agur's humble introduction, surely I am more stupid than any man, as he started there. What we're saying here is many previous Proverbs teach that humility, humility is the ultimate word that I want you to get from this verse, is an essential aspect of wisdom. It really is. It really, really is. Here, the, the poetic exaggeration, Agur declared his own limitations when it comes to understanding and wisdom. See, Agur's wisdom, and that's all this is, is just really wrapping it up in a present with a bow. Man's humble place for, for God is what is breaking. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the winds in his fist? All questions. He's, and he's not questioning himself. He's posing questions as a scholar or a teacher would. Who has bound the waters in a garment? 
who has established all ends of the earth. What is his name? What is his name? What is his son's name? If you know, speak it. See, here what we're talking about in a section that sounds much like Job, for those that have read Job, that might be another book for next month. I think I'm going to stick with Psalms. It might do Job during December. A girl called Agor called men and women to understand their limitations in understanding God and his creation. Not just God, but his creation. See, the wise and humble answer to each of these questions, it's God and not man. Where is there a man that can do all of this? And none but he who made and governs all the creatures can know and teach these things. Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. Can you guys hear me clearly? Are you with me, Francisco? Everybody with me? Cool. Hold on. Oh, hold on. My tea just went off. That's what's going on. Pause. Stick with me. It gets juicy. You guys know I'm a little crazy when I have energy. I didn't sleep. I get a second win and a third win. A girl was telling me to get my teeth. I'm sorry. I heard him. He was screaming from the grave. Yo, Byron, go get, Lord, go get your teeth. So I had to get my teeth. So as we're talking about this, a girl called men and women to understand their limitations in understanding God and his creation, the wise and humble answer to each of these questions, God and not man. After challenging the reader, Regarding the natural world, a girl finished with the challenge regarding man's limitations in the spiritual knowledge. One can only know what is his name and his son's name by God's own revelation. In all these things, we humbly depend on God's revelation for our knowledge. As we jump down, every word of God is pure. I mean, come on. He is shield to those who put their trust in him. As we jump to five and six, what we're saying here, Agur valued and explained the purity of God's word. It is all good and it's all helpful being completely pure because it is pure. It can and should be trusted. A metaphor taken from the purifying of metals. Everything that God has pronounced, every inspiration which the prophets have received is pure, without mixture of error, without dross. Whatever trials it may be exposed to, it is always like gold. It bears the fire and comes out with fire, some luster, same luster, some purity, no, same purity, some weight, no, same weight. See, in the context, as we go down, it, he is a shield. In the context of writing about God's word, Agur explained that God is a shield. He will, he, will, he will protect us. He will take care of us no matter what. All we have to do is stand behind him, go to him for refuge. The sense is that God gives his pure word to protect his people if they will use the wisdom and encouragement of his word to put their trust in him. Additionally, a shield is something we trust. And if we wisely trust God and his revelation of himself in his word, he will protect us. It isn't enough to know every word of God is pure. If you don't take the next step and trust him, not just know every word is pure, but trust him, hence that faith. How many people say, oh, I just got trust issues. I just got trust issues. Yeah, because you don't know how to trust yourself. 
I'll take you all the way back to Genesis. It's not enough to just know the word. We got to trust him. God's word needs no additional, nothing, no, no adding, no subtract. It, it needs no multiplication. It needs nothing from us. What we don't need to take away from his word or add to his words is in Revelations 22, just so you have a reference point. If we do, we are targets of God's rebuke and we will be exposed as liars. If we say something different than God's word, then he is right and we are wrong. He tells us the truth and we will be found a liar. Now check this out. The temptation is to improve on the text if not by actually adding new material, then by interpreting it ways that make more of a passage teaching than is really there. Embellishing the truth is what we're saying, right? Is what Paul called going beyond what is written in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, by the way. Don't do it. Don't do it. And what I really love about 7, because a lot of people have been asking me to either pray for them or in turn teach them how to pray, which I love. What seven through nine is, is, is a great template for prayer. So everybody knows that, okay? If you never, if, if you don't do nothing else, outline seven through nine. It's a prayer for integrity. And God, did I need this one to be able to understand and bring this home. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die, remove falsehood and lies from me, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? And we know somebody did that and did not claim him three times at the cluck of a rooster. Be careful now and profane the name of my God. These verses contain a wise and humble prayer from a girl. He earnestly asked God for two things, and he wanted to receive them on this side of eternity. And he said it in the word, deprive me not before I die. See, the author here recognizes his weaknesses, both in tendency to forget God when life is too easy and to turn in desperation away from God when life is too hard. It's both being, I mean, they're both being confronted here. A girl first asked for personal integrity. And don't we all want that at the highest level? It's amazing how some people are convicted that they're living within a frequency of integrity, but because they don't know the truth, they have no idea they're living underneath a lie. He wanted to be a man marked by truth and not by falsehood and lies. Knowing God is a God of truth. He didn't want such deception anywhere near him. See, the falsehood and lies are the deceptiveness of both wealth and poverty. The former convinces one that God is not necessary, and the latter that either he is of no help or that his laws are impossible to keep. How many times have we been in a position that's like, you know, even God can't help me here? Right? Or we're so high on the hog, it's like we almost forget that we need to pray or we need scripture. Who got you there? And that, that goes back to a conversation I say all the time. And that is when you're at the top of the mountain, you need to pray. And when you're at the bottom, you need to party with God. He's attempting to give us a breakthrough. So a girl's second request was to have neither great poverty nor great riches. He wanted to be satisfied with God's provisions in his life. 
He said, feed me with the food allotted to me, which actually makes reference to previous uh, verses about, I don't want to be so full that I'm, you know, I get the itis and I, I don't want so little that I'm going to be hungry afterwards. Give me what is allotted to me by you, Father. But there's other food which is needful, the daily bread of love, of hope, of holy thought, of fellowship. There are other hungers that the body must have, but this also will be provided according as each day requires. See, a girl wanted neither poverty nor riches out of concern that either extreme might lead him to profane the name of God. He did not want to arrogantly deny God because he felt he was so rich, he didn't need God. He did not want to be so poor that he would use poverty as an excuse to sin. Either path would profane the name of God. If a wise man like Agur was tempted to allow riches to profane the name of God, my God, we must also be on guard. We must also be with, uh, with our wits about us. Even an Agur, Agar, Agur, full fed may grow wanting and be dipping his fingers in the devil's sauce. Yeah, so far may he forget himself as to deny the Lord. We instinctively want to honor and even protect the name of our God. Jealously, I want to protect the name of our God. Even if our God is an idol, this statement of a girl showed that in some, the glory of God, not his personal need, motives, was a girl's request. Now we get to number 10, and we're talking about speaking ill of others. I don't even think I need to talk about that. I'm just going to go straight to 11 through 15. Foolish, sinful generations. Foolish, sinful generations. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords. I, I almost feel like he started in the beginning, and he's ending up where we are today. <laughs> Be careful, you might want to pay attention to this. And whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor off of the earth and the needy from among men. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Now, the generation that disobeys God command to honor father and mother puts folly on full display. That generation sows seeds of conflict and will grow into a bitter harvest of personal and community strife. The generation that is blind to their own sinful need will never be washed from its filthiness. When we ignore or cover our sin, it never gets resolved, or better stated, it never gets washed off. I used a story, I don't know if anybody remembers the story I said that, uh, and it was a, a prophecy. And I remember a prophet that told it to me, he said, and I think I shared it with you guys once before, the man went out and played with hogs and pigs and swine in the dirt, mud and everything. Then he went in and he thought he was gonna get clean. So he took off the dirty clothes and he put on a set of new clothes as if it would wash off the skin. <laughs> Folly, go figure. See the generation that is blind to their own sinful need will never be washed from its filthiness. We will ignore, when, I'm sorry, when we ignore or cover our own sin, it never gets resolved. Jesus condemned the self-righteous. 
Pharisees of murder and of belonging to this generation, by the way. It seems like it's coming full circle. There's a generation, a group of people who may observe all outer ritual, but pay no attention to inner cleansing. This comes from Isaiah 1.16. Such hypocrisy is harmful in every walk of life. See, the generation that walks in pride and arrogance will experience God's resistance because God resists the proud. And also, you got to understand, he gives grace to the humble. And it's spoken of in James and 1 Peter 4, 6, and 5, 5, if you like my notes. Here's the generation. I'm, stay I'm staying here for a reason. The rest of it is pretty, pretty you know, it's, it's, it's on point. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords. The generation filled with greed devours everything as if their teeth were swords and fangs like knives. They devour the poor from off the earth and like the leech can never be satisfied. These cruel oppressors are marked by pitiful cowardice, number one. They vent their wantingness only where there is little or no power of resistance as they devour the poor. When we talk about the leech has two daughters, this is very powerful. It personifies the blood-sucking horse leech, which has two sucking organs at each end. One to such, I don't know if you guys have ever actually, but you might want to write that down. It's called a horse leech. And within its, its insides, it has two organs, two sucking organs at each end. One to such blood and the other to attach itself to its host as a mother of two daughters as a mother to two daughters this leech could be found in all stale waters of palestine and attached itself above all in nostrils and palate of drinking horses so this is a true a true creature that was created is what i'm sharing with you so implicitly just as the parasitical loathsome leech must be quickly eliminated from doing more damage so also the wise must either exercise precaution to avoid the greedy or take quick and decisive action to get rid of them and so preserve his life and health. Oh, that was just a whole mouthful. But as we get into 15 and 16, it starts with there are three things that are never satisfied. Let me break them down here. See, the first thing he's saying that's not satisfied as he goes in, he says, for never say enough. The thought of the generation that greedily devours everything made a girl consider that there were four things that could never be satisfied. As was with the pattern back in Proverbs 6.16, the formula three and then four implies that the list is specific but not exhausted. It's not exhausted. It's not finished. The grave, the barren womb. Hope you guys are with me this morning. The dead never seem to stop dying and the grave of humanity never seems to be filled. The barren womb feels the ache of its emptiness and what is often felt like an unfulfilled purpose. See, barren are most desirous of children. Barren women are most desirous of children which yet are certain cares but uncertain comforts. How impatient was Rachel? How important was Hannah to this, this conversation, if you guys know the story between the two of them. See, the earth seems to continually drink and absorb the water poured out upon it, and fire will burn as long as there is fuel to burn. These are all examples of things that never seem to say enough. But then he goes into the mocking eye. 
See, the eye that mocks his father, this eye belongs to the fool, just so you know, foolery. The one who mocks and disobeys father and mother, this upsets the social order and sets the generations into conflict. That I don't even think I need to expand upon. I'm gonna go straight into 1819 so you understand that. There are three things, we're back to the three things, which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four, which I do not understand. Agur gave no advice in the proverb, but reminded us all that there are things that are too wonderful for our complete understanding. Things we should simply be amazed at and a bit humbled in the presence of. Agur gave his list of four amazing things. Four amazing things. It isn't entirely clear what these four things have in common, but a lot of people suggest that you can collectively put it in this way. All four things are visible for a while, then hidden. All four things progress without leaving a trace. All four things have a mysterious means of progress or motivation. All four things move in the domain of something else. The way of the four wonders move in the cleave to the appropriate and difficult environments according to an invisible course in an easy, intriguing, gracious, un undulating manner without leaving a trace and without being taught and yet reaching their goal. That's what we call God. Now, as we talk about the way of an eagle in the air, the flight of a majestic eagle amazes us with the power, height, and grace. The way of the serpent on a rock. The serpent suns itself on the rock, yet is ready to flee at the slightest disturbance and can slither itself over hard and sharp rocks without injury. The way of a ship, the midst of the sea. A ship is so small in the midst of the sea, it's nothing to God's waters, yet it virtually conquers the sea by using it as a road for travel and trade. And the way of a man with a virgin, the power of a young love, and his desire seems that it would overwhelm both a man and a virgin, but they marry and make a productive life together. This mystery might begin with the manner of obtaining the love the woman but focuses on most intimate part of the human relationships. So the most intimate moments of love are at the heart of what the sage considers to be wonderful. As we get into 20, the wickedness of the adulterous woman and I can't say man and woman because it's specifically saying adulterous woman. Like Solomon, a girl presented his wisdom in Proverbs to his son, a young man. This was wisdom for the young man, just so that we have clarity here for anybody that wants to go into gender conversations. Surely this proverb also applies to the adulterous man, but because of his audience back then, he has first in view the way of the adulterous woman is what was spoken of, so everybody's clear. She eats and wipes her mouth since his woman is characterized by her adultery. Her eating here is a tasteful reference to her sin of adultery. She satisfies her hunger for adultery. And then according to this poetic picture, casually wipes her, casually wipes her, casually wipes her mouth and considers herself blameless. I've done no wickedness. This represents many who sin against God, their marriage, their family, their community, their partner in adultery, man and woman, and their own bodies, yet consider it no wickedness at all. As we jump into 21, 23, two and three, four unbearable things. 
Using the three and four phrasing, once again, Agur spoke of four things that trouble the earth that are fundamentally not right. Agur gave his list of four unbearable things. Agur did not mean a man with a servant's heart like Jesus would later perfectly display. He meant a man with a servile, a, a, a debased mind who thought and lived as a slave instead of a free man. It is unbearable when such a man reigns. A servant who gains authority over others has neither the training nor the disposition to rule. That is just not wise. He also talks about a fool. He is filled with food. When a fool is satisfied, it only rewards his folly and gives him the energy and resources to be even more foolish. Oh, we're just going to jump down to 24 through 28. This, this right here, I'm just going to go back over here. I need to have some, I'm, I hear you, girl. I need to have some tea. Stick with me. A girl told me to have some tea, y'all. Just stick with me. Dwayne, y'all, be, 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 be careful. Okay, I'm going to have some tea. Oh, that nectar right there. Stick with me. See, right here he's talking about there are four things which, in, uh, which are little of the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. And, and, and really here, you guys, I, I wish that I could go back and give you a recording I did about a year and a half ago about the ants. Ants are like one of my favorite creatures on the planet. Ants are a people, not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. They prepare, they are some of the smartest creatures God has ever created, by the way. Um, I mean, they just know how to work together, collaborate. You don't see none of them arguing. You see them all moving together. Don't leave some food in your house. They'll, they'll send out a scout and the whole army will come find it. I'm telling you right now, we all need to build our organization like ants and will last a lot longer. I'm telling you, it just, it's just amazing. Yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts, I'm still trying to figure out, like locusts and wasps, what did God bring them for? I'm still, I still don't understand God. I'm sorry, I just had, I had a trigger moment because I don't, I don't understand the locusts, nor do I understand wasps today. I think they are descendants. But the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. See, a girl looked to the world of animals and noted four small animals, little on earth as they are, yet they are exceedingly wise. No human trained them in their wisdom. They are truly taught of God, and so we may also be. But they are wise, uniquely used as wise for animals to denote their skill to cope, to cope and their masterful cunning to survive in spite of their severe limitations that expose them to threats and endanger their very existence. See, the ants are a people not strong. Check this, check this out. Ants are small and don't have much strength compared to a person. That's what he's saying there, or a large animal for that matter. Their wisdom is shown in that they prepare their food in the summer. They work in the time when work can be done and are not lazy nor procrastinators. In fact, they work all the time. They know their purpose, they know their anointing. And rock badges, we could go through this. I think you guys get the point. And spiders, the same thing. I still don't like spiders. I don't care how much or why God created them, but he needs, I mean, and it's Halloween too, and all they got is spider webs up like there isn't enough in the world already. I'm not even gonna talk about spiders. 
He's going to move on. We're going to go to 29 through 20 to 31. Four examples of, majest of majesty here. There's four majestic things here. There are three things which are majestic in pace. For the fourth time in his brief collection of Proverbs, Agur used the three and four structure to explain four wonderful things, four examples of majesty. A lion, which is a mighty amongst all beasts. A lion has respect from all other animals. A greyhound, a male, a male goat, and a king whose troops are with him. The last three examples are given without explanation. Yet when we consider the speed and grace of a greyhound, we see majesty, a majesty, a majestic. We see it in, in a higher form. When we think of the stubborn persistence of the male goat, we see the majestic form. When we think of the power of the determination of a king whose troops are with him, we see the majestic form. Each of these moves with majestic pace, swiftly, stubbornly, and powerfully. 32 through 33, the foolishness of self-exaltation. My God, the foolishness of self-exaltation. And considering this the last one, I'm going to break it down again. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, what do I say all the time? If you, are if you meet somebody who talks about themselves, they are nobody. People that have done something in life, you don't have to say anything because you got millions of people talking about how you have served. If you got to exalt yourself, this is what they will, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I, I, it, I, it's amazing when I get people started in business, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Don't tell me. I'm ready now. No, you aren't. Look up 30 days later. Slot's still the same. You don't have to listen to people. The foolishness of self-exaltation. Okay, I'm ready. Every time, every freaking time. Okay, oh, not, not, no. Oh, I just, I'm, ooh, sugar. I'm ready now. I'm, oh, ooh, watch, watch me. I'm going to get my 50. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to launch it. I'm going to do a business plan. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm sorry. I got triggered there for a minute. That was a girl. That wasn't even me. I was having an out-of-body experience with a girl. Me and him, we just went into it. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, which is evil. He's saying it's evil to lie. Shut up. And it says it right here. Put your hand on your mouth. <laughs> I'm telling you. He said, put just... For as the churning of milk produces butter, and the ringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of the wrath produces strife, hence self-conflict. I mean, a girl personally expressed his own humility in the beginning of the chapter. Here he advises his, everybody who's reading this to not be foolish in exalting yourself. Instead, follow what James wisely told us. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up, James 4.10. If you start to exalt yourself, put your hand on your mouth. Shut up. A humble heart will repress the sparks of our unholy fire. See, if you use the power and resources of your mind to devise evil, then stop. It is better to put your hand over your mouth and not say another word. This is the result of self-exaltation and the plotting of evil. Surely as the churning of milk produces butter, as surely as wringing the nose produces blood. I mean, let's look at this for you. Let's just break this down. Those who make trouble get into trouble. Hidden in the second simile, however, is the warning that those who make trouble are liable 
to get punched in the nose. <laughs> so the intent of the concluding advice is to strive for peace and harmony through humility and righteousness. Amen. Jesus, that was good. I don't know about y'all, but I'm just, I, I mean, that was like a steak that was sauteed. I'd waited 29 verses to get to this, this 30th right here, chapter right here, this chapter right here, right here, this part right here, this part right here, this, this right here. <laughs> I approve this message. 